0: I want to speak this weekend uh, to us on a message called, What Marks Our Life, right? I mean, we're all familiar with the fact that Jesus lived 33 and a half years here on earth uh, during His uh, earthly ministry. His ministry began when He was 30 years of age and lasted about three and a half years. So the sum of 33 and a half years is just about over 12,200 days, okay? Now, if you look through the internet, there are various sources that will say that the Gospels only effectively recounted something like 52 days in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And uh, some sources also say uh, that the Gospel of John records at the most 20 days of the life of Jesus. Now, I searched through the internet to see how these uh, 52 days were accounted for, and I want to say that I haven't found a reliable analysis of how they came up with the number of 52. Nonetheless, the number 52 is very significant in the Bible. Because it took Nehemiah 52 days to repair the walls of Jerusalem, okay? And so there is a significance to the number 52, but I cannot honestly say that only 52 days of the Lord's life is recorded for us in the Gospel. Now, I did find a source where they try to count the number of days that is recorded of the Lord's life in the Gospel of John, and it adds up to just over 30 days, okay? Now, whatever the number might be, the actual number of days of our Lord's life that is, uh, uh, that is rec- recounted and recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures is, in fact, a very, very small percentage. Amen? Isn't that interesting? And the Gospels basically give us uh, uh, just vision of, of the life of Christ. More importantly, the, the Scriptures records with intentionality and with a sense of purpose as to communicating truth to us through the life of Christ. Now, if I can paraphrase this uh, of what I'm trying to say, is that not every day of our lives weigh equally on the scale of eternal importance. In other words, there are days that are far more significant than others when seen through the perspective of heaven and through the perspective of eternity. Now, I don't mean to say that the rest of our lives don't matter. I don't mean to say that we can just live our lives every day. You know, we are a reflection of what we do every day, right? I mean, you can eat unhealthy every single day, and then one day in a year you eat healthy, I promise you, you're unhealthy, okay? You can't live every day without integrity, and then in a moment of reckoning, act in a manner that, is, that has integrity, right? You can't walk in a way whereby there is no love being expressed, and then in a moment and of opportunity, then respond in love. Who we are in those critical moments is made up of the days of, you know, the, the everyday encounters that we have, the everyday way in which we live our lives, okay? But, you know, this the concept, this thought of a, a particular day or a particular moment that counts is very consistent throughout the Word of God. Think for, for, for a moment, the book of Exodus all the way to the book of Deuteronomy's Four books spans about 120 years from the birth of Moses to the point where Israel were about to enter the Promised Land. But the actual number of days that is recounted for us is easily less than a year, way less than a year. Amen? They're literally... Decades that went by for which the Bible is completely silent about what happens. 40 de- decades of Moses wandering in the wilderness, there is nothing recorded for us. 38 years, 3 decades of Israel wandering in the wilderness is not recorded for us either. Right? So literally, time passes by in which nothing happens and God does not take record of, make a record of these things. Now, the, the question then begs to be answered about this. That when our lives have been fully lived out, right? And when we stand before the Lord, how many days it is that has been, you know, that we've lived, whether it's 70 years or 80 years, I wonder in the records, in the annals of heaven, how many days in our lives is actually going to be recounted? What a travesty it would be after living 70, 80, 90 years, and then we go to heaven, and our lives are not recorded at all when it comes to the recounting of what's happened on earth. Amen? Because Heaven measures our days very differently, he- Heaven records our days in a very different way. Now I think when you look at the bible you 've got to understand this this is a heavenly perspective. This is Holy Spirit recording things and it gives us a sense of how do we actually want to measure our own lives? How are our lives actually going to be marked? Now, I want to look into the Word of God this weekend. I want to show us and examine for us some scriptures to instruct us specifically about how to make our lives count. How do we have our lives marked? For eternity, okay? And I've got four points. The first is this that there, is, there has to be a summary of our lives, okay? And I think that it's very interesting that if we want to look at how lives matter for God, then we simply have to go back to the Word of God and look at the lives that are recorded for us in God's Word. And one of the most interesting places to look at how lives are recorded is in the book of Chronicles, especially the second book of Chronicles. And the reason is because we are, we are given a whole slew of kings whose lives, are recorded for us. And some accounts are longer, some are shorter. But invariably, at the end of every king's life or at the beginning of every king's life, there is a general summation or summary that is given to describe what their lives are like, okay? And this is the thing, at the end of our lives, how does heaven summarize our lives, okay? So let me give you a few examples here, a little sampling of some of the records. There is a king by the name of Rehoboam, okay? And his, his, the summary of his life is given in 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14, in which it says that he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. There's another King Asa, the summary of his life is that, hey, his heart was loyal to the Lord, but towards the end of his life, it was not so, right? In in fact, in in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 12, it says that the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. You know, um, there was a malady that was so severe, and even in the midst of sickness, he refused to seek the Lord, he sought physicians. Okay, so he was loyal to God at the beginning, but at the end of his life, he wasn't. There's another man called Jehoram in 2 Chronicles 21 verse 20. It says that he reigned 8 years, only 8 years, and to no one's sorrow he died. What a sad description. When he died, nobody was sad about it. Okay, let that sink in, okay. But in any case, uh, one last one, Uzziah, okay. Uzziah's description of his, of his life is this, that when he became strong, when he, became, when he began to see success, he was lifted up in pride. In 2 Chronicles 26, uh, 16 it says that when, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And I think that that's quite sad, okay? Many of these descriptions are not the best. Right and you know go through this book and you'll find that there's a lot more insights and examples that are given to us I mean think about men like Moses think about men like David right what was the summation of their lives because it's important when we consider all these examples that you know as, as you look at all the kings that live there are few things you know that we will notice in which uh, as, as to how their lives are measured so as the Bible comes to a, a sense of summation of summary of what their lives are there are few things in which they They are all measured by. And I want to examine very closely how their lives are measured. Now, one of the first things that is uh, mentioned about all the kings, okay, is that, you know, did they remove the high places in Israel? did they remove the high places in Israel, right? Along the way, as you read through 2 Chronicles, you'll discover this, that this is a consistent description or measurement that is given to the kings, right? Some of it, they'll say that, hey, they removed certain things, but they didn't remove the high places. They removed false idolatry, but they didn't remove the high places, okay? And it's interesting because it is important as to whether, it's important to God whether we dealt with the high places in our lives. And that's going to be a measure that when we stand before God on judgment, God is going to see if the high places in our lives have been removed. Now, I want to look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4 to 5, and I want to read you this verse, okay? So in any ways, Isaiah 40, verse 4 to 5, it says this, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough place smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Now, the prophet is giving a description concerning the highway of the Lord. It's talking about preparing a way for God. These are places or these are people whose life God is going to walk through, okay? And it says this, that every valley has to be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. Now, this is not a description of roads. This is not a description of terrain, but it is a description of people. And the question is this, in our lives, are there valleys, are there mountains, are there hills, are there crooked places and are there rough edges. Now, I like to say this, you know, and and explain this to people because a lot of people, a lot of times when we have problems, the root of our problem is either a valley or a hill or a mountain. A valley is a place of deficiency, something that we lack right? Maybe there's insecurities, maybe there is a place where there is a lack of confidence or wrong personal, a bad personal image of who you are and not understanding the value that God has given to you. And that's a valley. And when it comes to valleys, it has to be filled up. But there are other areas in our lives where it is a mountain. It's a place of excess. It's a place where there is pride maybe. Maybe it's an ego. Maybe there's a excess of appetite. There's this uncontrolled temper, you know, or speaking excessively. And when it comes to these high places, God says that they must be brought low. We need to learn to act with restraint, right? We need to deal with the excesses uh, that are there in our lives by exercising uh, self-control over these areas. And I want to encourage us to look into our lives, you know, because God can't move through us. We cannot be the highway of holiness if there are valleys and there are mountains, right? I mean, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're a parent and you look at your child and you see a, a misbehavior, one of the best things you can do is ask yourself, is this a valley or is this a mountain? Is the root of this thing a valley or is the root of this thing a mountain? If it is a valley, you need to lift it up. You need to fill it. That means there's something lacking in a person. There's a void, a a lack of love, a lack of affirmation, and you need to fill it, right? You can't scold a person who's got really, really terrible self-image and say, come on, get yourself up, right? You've got to fill them up by speaking well to them. But if it is a mountain, if it is excessive, then you need to cut it down. Amen? You need to rebuke it. You need to correct it. Yes? And this is something that gives us a sense of how to deal with issues uh, in our own kids' lives, in our own lives, as well as in the people's lives that are around us, okay? Now, the second measurement uh, uh, of all the kings was this. In whose footstep did they walk after? Now, here's another description that's consistent in the kings. It, it, it will actually, many of them, there'll be a description given about whose footsteps did they follow. Right? And, and uh, for example, uh, we're told that Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah, they all did according to what David did. Now David was the greatest benchmark amongst the kings. And so these other kings walked in the footsteps of David. The Bible tells us that Uzziah walked in the footsteps of his father, Amaziah. You know, Ahaziah walked in the footsteps of the house of Ahab, which is not good, okay? It is of such importance that we find the right role models in our lives in whom we can imitate, in whom we can duplicate our walk after, right? One of the commentaries that Doc Bailey used to tell us when he was alive, he said this, if you're looking for people in the Bible to model your life after, always model your life after the prophets, not after the kings, okay? Because the kings always had a lot of problems in their lives, okay? But the prophets, they lived exemplary lives, okay? But their lives also were very, very difficult. Uh, Paul says this, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, amen? And I think it's important for us to have role models that are there from the Word of God. But I want to encourage us that we need role models who are alive and well today. We, could, we can have role models who, you know, by reading bio, bio, biographical accounts of them from the Bible and so on and so forth, but we also need real life models whom we can talk to, we can interact with, who will correct us, who, whom we can, you know, ask questions to, right? Amen? And that's important. Now, it's, you, you, you know, I want to encourage us not, you know, because sometimes, you know, we you hear things that people will say, you know, oh, uh, my role model is Elijah, you know, in the Bible. I'm, I'm so spiritual, I can't talk to people who are alive. I need to have Elijah come and talk to me, you know, kind of, you know. I mean, years ago, decades ago, there was a pastor in Singapore who actually said that, okay. And uh, he said that I, he had become so spiritual that he had to commune, God had to send Elijah, Moses to commune with him because the people on earth were just too shallow for him, okay. And I think that that's really, really dumb, okay. And if somebody talks like that, uh, please, that person is in delusion, is deceived, okay? And um, if they're willing to listen, give them two tight slaps, wake up, you know? If they're not willing to listen, stay far away from them, okay? Because they're deluded, okay? And I want to encourage us, we've got to have real-life models in our lives who will be an example for us on how we're supposed to live our lives, amen? And the third thing about the kings in which, in how they're measured, okay, is that the kings were measured on whether their hearts were loyal to God, Okay. So let me give you again a few examples in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9. You know, it, it says this, okay, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. Now, this is a very well-known scripture and uh, we, we probably have uh, read this verse before. But essentially, this verse was, was, came out of King Asa's life, okay? And King Asa essentially was loyal to God for the greater part of his life. In his early part of his, you know, reign, when he was in trouble, he cried out to God and God would give him tremendous victories over, you know, extreme odds, okay? But, uh, but later on in his life, instead of turning to God, he turned to Syria for help. And this is where the Lord then spoke to King Asa these words, that God is looking for a man or a woman whose heart is going to be loyal to Him. Amen? Again, in 2 Chronicles 25, we are told that another king, Amazar, did what was right in the eyes of God, but his, uh, his heart was not loyal. We read earlier as well that King Uzziah, when he was strong, when he had prospered, again, his heart failed to be loyal. He departed away from God. And so, this is what God is searching for. If you've ever wondered, Lord, what is it that you want? What is it that God is after? There are some things that God is looking for. The Bible actually gives us quite a few indications. God's not looking for gold. He's not looking for silver. He's not looking for popularity. Jesus said this, The Father searches for those who will worship Him in spirit, and in truth. This is something God is looking for. God is looking for true worshippers. Amen? In another verse, in Ezekiel, we are told this, that God is searching for His sheep. He's looking for those who belong to Him, who have wandered away. This is something else the Father is looking for. And here, of course, in 2 Chronicles, we read this, that God is also looking for people whose hearts are going to be loyal to Him. You see, inherent in this verse is not about a present loyalty. It's not about loyalty that is just for a moment. The measure of true loyalty has to pass the test of time. At the end of your life, that's where the test of loyalty is going to happen. Do you still remain? Are we still loyal at the end of our lives? Are we still loyal when God blesses us with success, amen. And that's what God is looking for. So, if you're looking for a present to give the Lord, if you want to know what God is searching for, then these are some of the things that we can present to Him by being loyal to Him. Now, I want to give us something else that um, that that we learn from scriptures, which is recorded for us about what how uh, about people's lives. Okay, so some of these people that we read in the Bible, this is what. Marks their life. This is what the Bible records for us. Not every day, not everything that they do, but certain things that that springs out uh, that tells us what God is looking for. Okay? So here's something else that God is looking for. Lord, God is looking for what our lives reveal concerning Himself. Every time we bring a revelation to the world of who God is, I believe there's a record in heaven that is made about it. Okay? There's something special, there's something in which the Father is looking for. He's looking to display Himself, to manifest Himself to the world. But He's primarily sought to display Himself to the world through us, right? And and when we do that, heaven records it. So, for example, you think about people, you know… whose names were uh, revealed by, or by, uh, people who reveal God's names, okay? Like Abraham. Abraham revealed to us, you know, the, the names of God such as Jehovah Jireh when he offered Isaac as a sacrifice and, and then the Lord provided a ram. And of course, through that, he had an encounter with the Messiah. Uh, Abraham also revealed to us the name God Most High, El Elohim, when he had this tremendous victory uh, uh, against incredible odds. Moses was the one who revealed revealed to us a God who makes a covenant with us, Yahweh, the Lord right? And David, of course, reveals to us uh, the name uh, Belperazim, the God of breakthroughs. The Gospel of John uh, uh, provides for us seven revelations of who Christ is, who God is. God says, I am the Good Shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. Amen? There are seven revelations of Christ that is found and built around the Gospel of John. And so these things are recorded for us. Now, one of the primary purposes and pleasures of this life is, that is given to us, okay, is that we are given the opportunity to reveal God right? I mean, Jesus said this, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in the same manner, the pleasures that God has given to us is for us to really come to know Him and then to reveal Him to the world. You see, you can't reveal what you don't know, what you have not experienced. If you have not experienced God as a healer in your life, you cannot reveal God as healer. You can not only tell people, hey, God heals but you're not going to bring a revelation to it until you have experienced the healing of God in your life. Amen? right? You cannot reveal God as Belperazim, the God of great breakthroughs, if you have not seen God breakthrough in your life. And so this is what God brings us to on this life. He wants to show Himself in us. He wants us to know Him and then through knowing Him, to reveal who the Lord is. I mean, I think about men like Oral Roberts. Uh, and He revealed God as a God of faith, right? And God moves through faith. And this one man started so many things. Catherine Kuhlman's life reveals to us what a life would look like when we are in deep Communion with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this woman she knew the Holy Spirit, she walked with the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that God gave his life to show what is the long suffering of God. You know, I, I hope God doesn't choose me for that, okay? I can only suffer short while I can't suffer for long. But that's what Paul was. He said, You know, I made me an example of long suffering to the world right? There is a revealing that comes from a reality that we live in. If you're living in this place of knowing Him as an aspect, then your life would reveal that. Amen? Christ is wisdom. If you know Him as wisdom, you'll reveal Him as wisdom. Now, the third thing, okay, that, uh, that marks our life is when there is a distinct principle that we lift out, okay? So, let me explain this by giving us a few examples because it's really in these examples that this message came out from, okay? In 2 Chronicles 14 verse 11, it says this, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you and in your name we go against you this multitude. I remember this verse very clearly because uh, I think 20 years ago when we uh, first did a major, major nationwide conference, uh, we were a small church. We were maybe 600 people at that time. And then we did a conference for about eight, 9,000 people here in Singapore. And we hosted Reinhard Bonke. And before we took on that conference, this was the verse that the Lord gave to us. Because we said to the Lord, hey God, we are really a small church. You know, we don't have, we have very little strength in, Pastor Young prayed this, and the Lord gave him this verse and said, I'll give you success. I'll give you deliverance whether by, I can give deliverance whether by many or by little, right? And, and then it became, of course, a tremendous conference here in Singapore. And so this is a principle that was brought out for us. And and it is said by King, uh, and sorry, that was said by King Asa, okay? And then King Amaziah in 2 Chronicles 25 verse 4, he said this, okay? He said, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. You know, it's it's amazing, I'm pointing this out, because these kings, they... You know, when, when their lives are recorded for us in Holy Scriptures, what is recorded is that their lives brought out a certain principle that is in God. Yep. Uh, the same thing with As- uh, King Asa, the same thing with uh, uh, King Amaziah. Each of these principles is gleaned and enunciated, and Scriptures validate it by making an eternal record of it and then recounting it. To us, okay? Uh, um, there's, here's another one, okay? And, and, and then I'll, let me explain this. David said this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 24, right? At Ziklag, when they went to recover all the things that are lost, and then they recovered everything, they came back, and those people who were tired in midway, they, you know, they, they, they stopped halfway. Uh, they were, they were, there was a proposition that they should not get the same reward as those who went all the way, okay? And David established a statute. He says, but as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies, they shall be alike. David said, hey, whether you went or you stayed to look after the supplies, your reward should be the same. Now, my point is saying this, in, in saying all this is this, that God actually saw it fit to record these principles and to attach them to the person who shared these principles with us. And it is recorded for us for all eternity in Holy Scriptures. Now, the application I want to ask us to to consider is this, okay? What are the axioms or the maxims or the principles that you are living your life by? Are there principles that you have enunciated over and over again? Are there axioms of your life that you've said, hey, this is what you do, that you've said and you've repeated more often than anything else, right? Because I'm telling you this, you know, maybe it's a favourite quotation, maybe it's something that we like to recite over and over again, maybe it's a maxim through which, by which we conduct ourselves. But when these rules follow the nature of heaven or the rules of heaven, God will validate it and God will record it and God will use it to impact the people around us. I remember growing up, my father, you know, my relationship, my natural father was never really very good. But I remember when I was very, very young, my father said this to me. He said, um, he said that, you know, it's, you know, as we grow older, it's very hard for us to go through life with our heads lifted up. He said that. And he said to me, live your life in such a way that when you grow old, there's nothing you need to be ashamed of. Right? I, I'm telling you this, I don't remember very many things that my father said to me. I remember all the times he scolded me, yes. I remember all the times he caned me, yes. But I don't remember my father ever teaching me anything, but this one thing I remember, he said to me. And you know, it's come back to me over and over again in my life, to live my life in a way for which I wouldn't have to be ashamed of it, right? So when I do something now, I think to myself, hey, five years, 10 years, will I be ashamed of what I've done now at this point, right? Now, is, I'm not saying that this is something that's in the Word I'm just giving you an example to ask you, by what principles have you built your life? Okay, because this is what heaven looks at. Heaven doesn't look at every single day of your life. But heaven looks at some of these things and heaven will quantify it and qualify it to be recorded. Okay, and these things that you live by, they get passed on, they get impacted. And what is it that you're passing on to the next generation? Right? Now, finally, I want to mention this thing. The the final thing that I want to mention about what marks us are distinct exploits that we accomplish, right? And um, there are things that we do here on the earth that are recorded, that are remembered, um, and even celebrated in heaven. Now, there's something we all must bear in mind. And when it comes to winning souls, this is something the Bible tells us heaven celebrates. Every sinner that repents, heaven celebrates celebrates, okay? And Jesus Himself bore witness about this, right? And He described about, He described the atmosphere, the state of heaven, and and the celebratory nature of it, when even one sinner repents. And then, and and you just imagine if 10 sinners repented, you just imagine on the day of Pentecost, you know, you know, where, you know, uh, 120, uh, you know, the Spirit of God came about 120 and 3,000 people got saved. I mean, think about the celebration that is going on in heaven. What what about when a thousand people get saved or 10,000 people get saved? These are the moments, you know, where people obtain an eternal position uh, because they, they've done something that is important in the eyes of heaven. And winning souls is there, okay? But apart from that, there are other things in which we do that, ha- that has a remarkable effect on, on heaven, okay? Now, uh, the Bible talks about a particular man called Phinehas, okay? I like this guy, and uh, the account of him is found in Numbers 25, okay? And Phinehas essentially obtained an eternal promise and position because he had such zeal for God. He had such zeal that his zeal stopped judgment on the whole nation of Israel. One man, one man prevented judgment on the whole nation, okay? And that's found in Numbers 25. You can go read about it, okay? But the reward that God gave to this man wasn't just a temporary reward. It wasn't a reward just for this moment, okay? He said to this man, I will make a covenant of peace with you, okay? And then he goes on and says, I'll also make an everlasting covenant with your descendants that they will all be priests. They will all enter the priesthood. Okay. And, and there are things that we do that God will make an everlasting covenant with us. In Jeremiah 35, there's another incident that happens like that, where God uh, comes, He sends the prophet Jeremiah to the Rechabites, and he, they put wine in front of them and tested them. And they said, no, we'll not drink wine because our father, Jonadab, commanded us that we are not to drink wine wine. We're not to plant vineyards. But many times, we focus on this not drinking wine thing. And, uh, and, and, and that is the crux of it. Uh, but there's something else more than that, okay? The Father didn't just tell them not to drink wine. The Father told them that they are to live in tents. They were not. They would plant vineyards. In other words, the Father committed them to living a life that is nomadic. There is no permanence. There's no security. They were supposed to live as pilgrims throughout their lives on the earth. And this group of people obeyed it. Amen? Do you know how remarkable that is? If you don't know how remarkable that is, it's because you're not a parent. You don't have kids that are old enough to uh, disobey you, okay? I mean, you try telling your teenager, I want you to be home every night by 10 p.m. Next week, they'll break it. <laughs> okay. You, you know how hard that is? Make your bait every day when you wake up. You just try telling your kids to do that, okay? They will break it, okay? But here is a whole family, the Rechabites, they obeyed their father when he put them through something that was really difficult because it wasn't just about not drinking wine, it's about living a pilgrim's life for the rest of their earthly sojourn on the earth, right? And because of that, they obtained a promise, and the promise was this that they will never lack a man to stand before the Lord. Now, this is an amazing promise. This is a promise worth obtaining for our families, okay? An example of man who stands before the Lord always is Samuel, right? The prophet Samuel comes and he's a man who stands before the Lord. Elijah. I mean, we're told nothing about the genealogy of Elijah except that he's a man who stands before the Lord right? And these are men who had sway with God, that when they spoke, God heard their voice and God answered them and God gave them what they wanted, right? And so this is an incredible promise here. And here in Cornerstone, you know, in many degrees, we've taken this covenant of the Rechabites where God spoke to us in 1997 that, you know, the leadership is to abstain from alcohol. And the reason we do that is because we want a constant audience in the presence of God, amen? And that's eternal, that's everlasting, that's something that God wants to give to us, Right? Now church, I I don't think that these four things are exhaustive, you know, about what really marks us for eternity. But what I do want to do this weekend, okay, is just to give us a picture, just to paint for us a moment. You know, not just for tomorrow, not just a vision for the next 10 years, not just a vision for our children or our children's children, but I want to paint for us a vision of eternity. What gets recorded in heaven? You know, um, when I was young, I thought very little about the afterlife. I thought very little about the next day either. I remember when you're young, I remember at least when I was young, I was very reckless. I was willing to do all kinds of things and I've done things that have really put my life at risk. When I look back at it now, it's quite scary. But when I was going through it, I I had no fear because there is something about the foolhardiness of youth that you think that you won't die. But as I approach my fifties, I'm beginning to think more and more about mortality, okay? And the consciousness of eternity becomes clearer and clearer. And I know here in Cornerstone, we have a good mix of people across all ages. And you begin to wonder to yourself, does my life really count? Does my life really count? And what counts most is not just what you have done here on Earth, or what people say about you on uh, on Earth, you know? Some months back, I think I mentioned that I'm writing my own eulogy and I'm still writing it, okay. I'm done like maybe a page and a half and I'm still not done with my eulogy, okay. And, um, but as I'm writing it, you know, constantly that new thoughts are coming, you know, so it's a never-ending attempt to write my own eulogy, okay. But you have to wonder to yourself, what do you want people to say about you? But you have to wonder to yourself as well, what do you want God to say about you? What do you want heaven to record about your own life? Because I'm telling you this, we can live 70 years, 80 years, tens of thousands of days. I don't know how many, okay? But how many days will actually be recounted in heaven's records? When you open the book of histories and you look under your name, is it one sentence? Is it one paragraph? Is it one page? Is it one chapter? I don't know how much of our lives are going to be recorded, amen? And I, I don't know if, you know, we would, this is something that we would be thinking about or maybe some of you are just thinking about what well, you're going to have for lunch next, okay? But let's all stand to our feet, okay? And um, for the, those of us that might be thinking, you know, hey, what should I make of my life? I, I pray that God will speak to us, amen. I pray that it will help us reflect a little bit about what is the summary of our lives, right? How would people sum our lives up? What are the principles that we have lived by? What do we bring to people about who God is? Have we been instrumental in bringing a a manifestation, a picture of who God is to people around us, right? To our own children, especially. What have we painted? What is the picture that we've painted? What what are the, the axioms or the maxims that we've been living by, the mottos of our life, you know, that people can repeat and say, hey, this is what this man is all about. I mean, think for a, for a moment, think about pastyam, you know, what does it remind, what does, what do you think about when you think about pastyam? <laughs> right? Fire! but even that, in one word, his life has come to represent something. What do our lives represent? Amen. I want to ask us to bow our heads as we pray, Father, we thank You, O oh Lord, that You, in Your Word, You don't just give us peace, You don't just give us knowledge. You don't just give us wisdom. Lord, You don't just give us comfort. But You give us perspective, Lord. You help us understand what really counts, what really matters. Father, we ask You, Lord, to bring us to a place where our lives are more than just about ourselves. It's not just about tomorrow. It's not just about our own, own satisfaction. But our lives that we would really consider that, hey, there is something more. There is a deeper cause. There's a higher call that there is You, Lord, that gives meaning to all that we do. And help us see as only You can, Lord, how can we grasp or get a glimpse from eternity unless You open our eyes to see, Lord. Father, I just pray and ask You that You would be gracious to us and then You open our eyes to see for a moment what heaven's perspective is like. Help us to weigh this correctly because our lives are so rooted in this present world almost 24-7. It is here, Lord. But it's so important for us to be lifted up above where we are, to be in your place, to be where you are and to see how you really see and measure things, oh God. And Father, we just ask you to help us, Lord. Today, just help us open our eyes to see, open our understanding to realise that there is a greater measurement that you're looking at. We love you. And we pray, oh God, that this life, this one life that we have, Lord, count for eternity, Lord. We bless you, we give you praise, we give you glory, and I now just speak your blessings upon your congregation, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap on for each other. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church.